You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the Pride of Detroit podcast, the P.O.D. cast. P.O.D. stands for Pride of Detroit, and it spells out podcast. How clever is that? My name is Jeremy Reisman. You can catch me at Detroit Online. I am subbing in for the adequate host, Chris Perfett, who is on vacation, a well-deserved one. Um, On a very, very snowy day, if you're listening to us, I hope you are safe on the roads, or you're safe in your house, or your heat is working, or you choose to use it, (laughs) which leads us to one of our guest slash host host ryan matthews see that i'm professional i just waited for the drop at ryan underscore pod ryan how are you doing today uh i'm actually a little bit warmer than i thought i'd be so whenever whenever i can like perceive myself to be warmer than i had anticipated myself being like i feel like that's always a big win for me especially as the cold bears down on michigan i don't know why anybody chooses to live here uh, that feels like a personal tech, and I will do not appreciate that. <laughs> uh, today, we are going to talk a lot of Senior Bowl. Um, Senior Bowl obviously happened over the weekend. There was also the practices, which I think a lot of people think have more value than the game itself. Um, we're also going to talk a little bit about a new Lions coach in the second segment. And to help us talk about all that stuff, who's a lot smarter about all this stuff, Kent Lee Platty at Math Bomb. How are you doing, Kent? Great, guys. Glad you guys could have me. Oh, anytime we're talking drafts, you are on the top of our guest list. And that's why that's why you're part of the team. I mean, you bring other stuff too, but like you're you're the draft guy, right? You you don't take offense to that, do you? Everybody has their strengths. <laughs> okay, there you go. All right. Um well let's let's just get going then. Let's talk about the senior bowl. Um, Ken, I want your your kind of first impressions of what surprised you this weekend. Obviously, um you were kind of well versed in this draft class already. Um, but the Senior Bowl is an opportunity to maybe put some of your earlier perceived notions to, to bed or, or challenge some of the thoughts you had about these guys. So so who stuck out in, in an aspect of just being surprised? So the the I follow the practices very closely. You have to when you're paying attention to the draft, because like you said, those are generally perceived as the more valuable part of the games. Um, and I, I really tried to base the surprises on people that did differently one way or the other based on how the practices went. Um, the one guy that really surprised was Keelan Doss. He's a wide receiver out of UC Davis. Small school. He's had a ton of pers- uh, production. He's got the versatility to play inside and outside. There's some question about his athletic ability, but we have to wait, obviously, for the combine and the pro days for that kind of stuff. But nobody was predicting this guy to have a good game. I, I don't think I heard his name mentioned more than maybe once all week uh, during practices, and yet he came out. Uh, and he put up pretty decent numbers throughout the day. Uh, he ended up catching four passes for 55 yards. He had a 21-yard pass. It was really nice. 
Uh, he was really good at getting separation. He's definitely not a burner. I don't see this as a sub four or five guy. He's probably somewhere in the mid to high five, four or five range. Um, but he's got some versatility and, and teams that need somebody that can play inside and out and are looking for somebody in the later rounds, you'll get a TJ Jones type of player. Um, that's somebody that I don't think anybody was looking at. And he's somebody that probably got a lot of attention from that game. Uh, as far as guys that surprised negatively, uh, Isaiah Bugs, the defensive tackle from Alabama, defensive tackle, defensive end, based on their system. He had a ton of Deshaun Hand comparisons coming out. Uh, he led the Alabama in sacks this year. Probably one of the quietest sack leaders on any team, I think, in, in all of college football. Um, I was really down on him coming into the game, but I had heard some good things throughout, throughout practices. I was ready to be you know, pleasantly surprised. Uh, and he was washed on every single play that I saw. I, I didn't see any positive plays out of him. And I, even for as low as I was on him, that was really surprising. I think a lot of people expected him to perform a lot better than he did, uh, and he just fell flat. So those are some guys that you felt like up and down, like biggest surprises in in, in terms of the weekend with the game. Um, but also, like I, I guess kind of like s- switching to, I want to talk about the Lions, like, number one pick, right? So the Lions are drafting number eight overall. Are there were there any players that like performed this weekend practices in the game that you saw could be like a viable option at number eight for Detroit? Or do you think that that player wasn't in attendance at the senior bowl this week? Yeah the the ter- the tendency for the last few years has been the underclassmen, right? A lot of guys that are younger are getting drafted earlier, the the superb athletes that leave school early. So the senior bowl usually has the guys that just managed to last that long. Um, but we still had Montez Sweat. Uh, Sweat is a pass rusher. He's one of the top guys. He came in build as one of the top guys. He went through practices at one of the top guys. Um, nothing really surprised me with how he performed in the senior bowl. And I think the first or second mock that came out right after the senior bowl had the lions taking sweat at eight. Yep. So throughout the game, I think he was the only guy that's even really a possibility that high. Uh, and I think he did He checked some boxes. He had a pretty underwhelming game. He didn't, he didn't blow up a bunch of people. We'll get to some of the guys that did, but he didn't, he didn't really make you think, oh, man, I really got to go have that guy. But at the same time, when he did flash, he looked like the guy that, yeah, I could see him going early. Um, but then he just kind of had a quiet game. So, you know, it's I've seen some people saying that he underwhelmed. And I, I think if you came in with really high expectations of him, that was that was underwhelming. But I think he was just there to check boxes. And I think he did that. Let's uh, let's talk about some some supreme standouts, not necessarily guys that the lines are, are necessarily going to talk that are going to take with the first overall pick, but just like winners of the weekend winners of the week, I should say, not just the game, but just winners guys who was like, wow, those guys either did what they needed to do to, to solidify their, their days and their, their status in the first couple days or, or guys that maybe moved from a day three to a day two. Um, Who are the guys that really stuck out to you the most over the week? So I, I kind of split it up between the positions the Lions really needed where they were stronger in the in the draft in the, the senior bowl. So you had your your slot guys, and there's a ton of those in this draft, and a ton of yeah. them in the senior bowl. You had your ed, edge rushers, and then you just kind of had everybody else, right? Right. Uh, so I'll start out with the everybody else because we'll we'll go into the other stuff a little bit more in detail. But uh, Garrett Bradbury's a center from North Carolina State. I've seen him ranked as high as the first center off the board. I've seen him ranked as low as the the, the late third, early fourth round. So he's got a little bit of variance in, in where people think his value is, but that's kind of normal for, for interior offensive linemen. Uh, but he dominated the whole game. Uh, I haven't seen a center just destroy everybody that badly. 
he's part of the reason that Isaiah Bugs had a really bad day. Um, I, I don't think he beat him on any reps. And he just he was moving people around in the passing game. He was moving people around in the running game. He did a really great job of redirecting. He pulled several times and did really well. He had one bad snap um, that went a little bit low. Um, but other than that, he did a almost completely flawless game. So he's, he's a guy that I don't think I've heard a whole lot of buzz about. And it's usually pretty quiet on that front. And, and we, we kind of got spoiled last year with guys like Quentin Nelson and Will Hernandez. Um, but interior offensive linemen, you usually don't hear a whole lot about him. And, and I think he's probably the quietest OC1, I think, that I've seen in a while. Because he's, he's been number one on my board for a while. I haven't got to the center, so he's kind of very loose OC1. But uh, one of the quieter players that's top of his rankings, I think. Um, there was a, a, a lot of talk about uh, Wes Hills from Slippery Rock and Karan Higdon from Michigan for different reasons coming into the Senior Bowl. Karan Higdon had a really good practices throughout the week. Uh, Wes Hills was injured. He didn't do that well in the practices when he was healthy. Um, but they ended up kind of going in different directions as the game actually happened. You know, Hills only had two rushes, but one of them was a 21-yard run. Um, the other one he got stuffed right away, so that's something to pay attention to. But his 21-yard run was really nice. He he made a couple of nice moves. He showed off some athletic ability. Uh, he's a guy that didn't really have any talk. You know, nobody really pays attention to Slippery Rock prospects that much. No offense, Slippery Rock, if you're listening. <laughs> but they're not we, the we most. Have a, we have a big Slippery Rock contention that, that <laughs> listens to the podcast. So, um, sorry guys. Oh, sorry guys. Uh, <laughs> And then Karan Higdon is the opposite. I mean, it's it's a Michigan, it's a Michigan. So he's a Michigan guy, and he's been billed as being kind of a workhorse. Uh, he only had five carries, but they only went for eighteen yards, and he didn't. He just looked really out of his element. Um, one of his runs, he had he had an opportunity to bounce either inside or outside. The blocking was really well done. Uh, there was a, a tackle in front of him blocking a guy, and a guard in front of him blocking a guy. He could have bounced either direction and taken it for a long game. Instead, he dove right between them. Uh, and got tackled for only a couple of yards. So I, I was really underwhelmed with how he did. I felt like that didn't really work out. But Wes Hills is a guy that I didn't know anything about, and I'm going to end up going back and looking at him and seeing if there's anything there. Uh, at the very least, undrafted guy, late-round pick as a, as a possible return specialist or something. You know, This is a really deep tight end class, so I was trying to pay a lot of attention to those guys. Uh, Drew Samples, a guy that was really low on my boards, but again, this is a really deep class, so low on my board for this year is not the same as low on my board for other years. Drew Samples, one of those guys that I'm just like, yep, great athletic potential. You know, there's there's some receiving possibilities there. He's a pretty decent blocker, not a great one. Um, he came out and really impressed me in the game. I, I like the way that he was blocking. He did a, he did a decent job as a receiver. He was getting separation. I don't think he dropped anything. I'd have to look to see if he had any targets that were incomplete, but he did a really good job and he impressed me when I didn't expect him to. So if you if you have guys that are coming in for late round contention, that's all you're really hoping for is can I push myself up the boards? And I think he did a good job of doing. All right, Ken, I think one position that a lot of Lions fans are interested in seeing the Lions address in the draft is the wide receiver position. And I think that they are intrigued in that because there are a lot of names that are emerging um, specifically like at the slot position a, a position where the Lions clearly have a void of talent ever since trading Golden Tate midseason um, one of the guys who's really impressed me and I think probably one of the biggest winners of the weekend was uh, Debo Samuel who has one of my favorite names just because I love <laughs> Debo uh, but I mean he clearly had a had such a good weekend that maybe he moved himself uh, so far up the draft board that he might have priced himself out um, in terms of being like a 
uh, a guy who might be there on day two, but talk about some of those slot options. Like, is there anybody that might end up being like a nice, like consolation prize if we don't get one of the guys that a lot of uh, Lions fans, including myself have, have sort of taken a, uh, a liking to. So it's a great class to need a slot receiver, right? If you need a tight end or a slot receiver, you're, you're in a good class. And the Lions need both of those they things. They need both that's of gonna, them. <laughs> that's going to end up working out one way or the other. Um, Debo Samuel, you're exactly right. I think the practices throughout the week might have priced him out of our range. He's probably going to cost that second round pick that the Lions have. I'm not sure I would take him with a high second. Uh, but he's a really fun guy to watch. He didn't really do much in the game. He caught, the, I think, the first pass of the game for like 15 yards was a slant. Uh, and then he didn't do anything for the rest of the game. I'm not sure he was really out there much after that. I, I think yeah, I he kind of like, just did his like thing. Like you said, there's, there's just too many guys, right? Too many people right. to spread the ball to. So. Oh, yeah, and especially when we're talking about the slot guys because right. they, they, were, they were talking of a bunch of these guys throughout the week, and there's only really one of them that, that truly disappointed throughout the week, which was Penny Hart. Um, Penny Hart went to uh, Georgia State, small school guy. Um, he had a great, great week of practice and then just – Completely disappeared in the game. Couldn't get open. Got knocked off of any kind of press. Uh, but the other guys did really well. You know, Andy Isabella is a guy that's getting a lot of hype because he is just ten shades of fast. He's so fast on the field; it's ridiculous. He makes everybody lo- else look like they're in slow motion. That's another cliche that I can throw out for a guy that's really <laughs> fast. Um, he, he's he, he's just a, a complete burner. He's super fast. And there was a ton of complaints about him being a body catcher, and those are legitimate complaints if you're trying to draft him in a position where he should ever be in a position to need to catch a ball away from his body. Um, for those that aren't truly versed in what that means, you, you generally want a receiver that, that catches the ball away from their body. It tends to mean that they're better at catching a football because they use their hands to snatch a ball and pull it in. It increases their catch radius. It makes it opens a bigger window when you're trying to throw passes to them. So you generally don't want a guy that's a body catcher. Uh, but Golden Tate tended to be a body catcher. Marvin Jones, prior to coming to Detroit, when he was in uh, Cincinnati, he had that reputation as being too much of a body catcher. You can win in the NFL being that kind of catcher if you have other ways of getting open. And Andy Isabella has so much speed that if you're throwing him a football and you need that to be a huge window, you're probably not using him right. You know, it's just like Golden Tate. If they were throwing him passes where he had to make a contested catch in traffic or something, that generally wasn't the best way to utilize his skill set. Get him open first and then throw the ball where it needs to be. And if it's not where it needs to be, he's fast enough to get there. So Andy Isabella had a fantastic senior bowl. He was one of the best receivers there. Uh, he was hyped all throughout the, the, the week. So he's, he's got a lot of hype. Uh, what's what's going to keep him from really rising too far up the boards is he's really, really small. He's, he's tiny. He's a tiny guy. So that's probably going to keep him from uh, getting too far out of the line's reach. But I think he's still going to be one of the guys that they keep an eye on earlier in the draft, uh, probably the second or third round. I don't think they get him in the second. I don't think he goes in the second. But I, the, the Lions have drafted guys around earlier that people weren't expecting, so that, that could happen. Um, another guy that really impressed was Ter- uh, Terry McLaurin from Ohio State. McLaurin got a ton of hype during the week, uh, and if you just watch the highlights of the game, he totally delivered on all that hype and, and did exactly what you expected. He had almost the exact same stats as Keelan Dawson. He had four catches for 53 yards. So if you just watch the highlights, he delivered on all of that. The, the problem that I had with McLaurin is that he also delivered some negatives on tape. Uh, he dropped one pass. He ran a couple of sloppy routes. He had a little bit of struggles getting open sometimes. Um, but that just means that his value is probably going to line up where it should go rather than pushing him up too high. So that's another name to keep an eye out for. 
A guy didn't do much in the game, but he still wanted to keep an eye on uh, is Jacoby Myers out of North Carolina State. Uh, Myers is another small slot guy, small and quick, fast. Um, He only had one catch for 15 yards. He didn't do a whole lot during the game. He did have one special teams play, I think. Uh, but what the reason you want to keep an eye on him is the Lions showed a ton of interest in him throughout the week. They they interviewed him more than once, uh, and the Lions in the past have been pretty easy to predict when it comes to guys that they really like. They did it with Michael Roberts. They did it with Kenny Galladay. Uh, they're they're very open with who they have an interest in. So he's a name to get a, to to keep in the back of your mind, um, and he's one that I'm sure the Lions are probably going to keep closer eye on as the season progresses. And and that that's a nice transition into into our next topic because Jacoby Myers kind of a little bit different than a lot of those other guys in that he's six two two hundred pounds or so, um, so he kind of fits a little bit more of the kind of like big slot thing that that some teams are moving to their slot receivers kind of the Anquan Bolden model for for local references. Um, do do you think that maybe that's what the Lions are going to be looking for in in this in their slot position? Or are they going to be looking for kind of those small, speedy, shifty guys? Um, I think they're going for the small and shifty guys. And yeah. I don't think Jacoby Myers really falls into the bigger slot just because of his play style. I mean, I, I get from his size. Yeah. Um, but going going into a Daryl Bevel offense, you know, he tended to use his tight ends in that kind of role. When he when he wanted mm-hmm. to use a big slot role, he pulled a tight end and used him in that role. Right. So I, I think that they're going to keep the small and shifty guys and maybe even increase the amount of them that we have. We might see a shift away from bigger, faster, or bigger uh, catch radius guys like Kenny Galladay. I think we might see a shift away from that in Bevel's offense and sure. see them use more tight ends in that kind of role and use their their speed guys to do everything else. And and this game had a couple of those potential tight end uh, prospects, I think starting with LSU's Foster Moreau, who had a really good week of practice. And then, you know, pretty, I, I, again, I didn't see him out there too much except for early in the game, but um, what, what are your thoughts on Moreau and, and maybe other tight ends that might be available? Yeah, Moreau's uh, one of those developmental guys, right? He's a guy that you feel has the athletic potential to become something, but maybe he's not a finished product. His blocking is certainly not there. Um, he's he's got some room to grow, uh, but there's it's a really hard position to project tight end because you 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 get guys that you'll go look at their stats and you'd be like, why are they even looking at this dude? Uh, but then you'll go back and look at some of the the tight ends that found success in the NFL and be like, God, they didn't really even have that much college success because of the offenses that they're in, the changing offensive schemes in college football, it's a lot more projection with that position. Uh, Foster Moreau is definitely a guy to keep an eye on. Um, I've heard a lot of really good things about him. He's he's considered a much more prized prospect than I think he's getting credit for on Twitter and social media. I think the NFL circles have a bigger, have a bigger opinion of him and the way that he projects. Uh, but he's definitely a guy to keep an eye on. There's a ton of potential there, and I think he's going to blow out the measurements when he gets to them too. All right, uh, I think we'll take a break there. We'll move a little bit more to the defense. I think I want to talk a little more about the edge guys. We talked a little bit about Montez Sweat, but there are plenty of other defensive uh, prospects playing in the Senior Bowl this weekend, and we're going to get to them right when we come back from this break. And for the first time ever, I'm bringing us back from break and I'm doing a bad job at it. But (laughs) you're listening to the Pride of Detroit podcast. You know where you're at. And we are talking more senior bowl on the other side of this break. We got our draft guy, Kent, with us. We got Jeremy, the fearless leader. 
let's just get right into it because we talked a lot of offense in the first segment. I think one of the things that the Lions most need to address, and I think a lot of people would agree with this, is the defensive side of the ball. An awful lot of holes that the Lions need to fill on on this side of the ball too. Um, so Ken, uh, I think the first position that we need to talk about is the edge, right? I mean, a lot of people are wondering what type of direction the Lions are going to take this offseason with Ezekiel Ansa. Um, not, you know, coming back on a contract, uh, it, it seems like there's a lot of uncertainty at that position. They seem to be kind of shored up on the interior of the defensive line. So who are some of the edge guys that uh, impressed you over the weekend? So coming into the game, if anybody's been paying attention to the Pride of Detroit guys, myself or Alex Reno or anything on the site, you know the the name Charles Amenehu. You may not know how to pronounce it. I don't. I'm sure I'm doing it wrong. Uh, he plays for Texas. Um, but you've probably heard his name a couple of times because he's he's not an unknown in draft circles. He's a guy that's kind of been climbing out of that obscurity and getting kind of inching his way up boards, similar to how Ziggy Yonsa did prior to his last season in college. You know, he's a guy that that was a relative unknown that people are starting to pick up on. Uh, and he had probably the best game for a, a pass rusher uh, on the day. He He was fantastic. He was very difficult to block. And as I mentioned before, I think I mentioned it before, the tackle class was was fairly good in the coming into this game, and they did a good job throughout the game. Um, but they're not against him. They, they they struggled with him. He has great length. He has great size. His athletic traits look to be to all be there. Not the most bendy player in the world, but he's got enough bend that he can get around the edge when he needs to. Uh, he fits the athletic and size profiles that a, a Matt Patricia defense has. Uh, I think he's going to be climbing up boards pretty fast. You might see him all the way up into the, the early day two talk, which is right about when the Lions are picking. Uh, and I think it's justified. I, I think he's the type of player that should go that early because of the traits that he has and how well they project, project the NFL. Um, another guy that you probably heard up and down things from both on the site and off is uh, Jalen Ferguson. Yeah, Jalen Ferguson is one of the most productive pass rushers in college football ever. Um, he's just racked up all kinds of stats. but He's not, a lot of people are split on him. You know, they're, they're, some people are concerned about whether he has the athletic traits to succeed in the NFL. Some people are certain that he has those traits and think that he's going to be one of the best guys to measure out. There's some people that think that he's, he's pretty much relegated to some kind of run defense role because his pass rushing traits don't really translate. There's other people that see his stats and watch some of his, his tape and see those sacks actually going on and think that he's got a great role as a pass rusher. So there's, the opinions are really split on him. And yeah, he, he came in. He came into the Senior Bowl with that. He went through practices with that, and he leaves the Senior Bowl with that. that and that's kind of how I felt about him too, because I felt he was one of the guys that I was really trying to pay attention to. Because you know, he, I think he had the most to prove, being a kind of small school guy, racking up all those sacks. But like you said, having all these questions around him, and then you know, obviously I wasn't there in Alabama, so I'm looking and scouring reports. And everything's kind of wishy-washy on him. And then he's in the game and he doesn't do much in the game either. So it's just like, well, I don't want to say that he failed his test and that he didn't prove as much as he needed to. But at the same time, he certainly didn't put some of the, the concerns to bed, I don't think. No, I saw uh, the, one of the first mocks that I saw had him going 13th overall. And I'm a fan of Jalen Ferguson. And I laughed out loud at that. <laughs> and I don't, I don't see how you could have watched the Senior Bowl and been like, oh, man. Uh, this guy's got to shoot up my board. No, it's, it was a pretty meh game. He had a couple of the best reps in the game, though, as a pass rusher, which is really nice to see. A guy that has a pass rushing reputation gets a couple of nice pass rushes. He also had some of the worst ones in the game. 
Right. Uh, he had actually, I think, the worst, probably the worst pass rush rep that I saw throughout the whole game. Uh, he got washed so badly that he tripped over himself. And that's usually not a good thing to see when you're a pass rusher and you're kind of prized that balance and that, 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 that talent to keep your feet. Um, but he had an up and down game and it was, it's, it's funny to see a guy who's so up and down coming into the process and then have that up and down game where you're just like, yeah, well, same pretty much. Uh, he's definitely a developmental guy. He's a guy that's going to need some work, but it's a guy that we ended up leaving with pretty much the same opinion on. Let, let's go back to Montos Montes sweat for a second, because I don't know. I, I'm not quite as hyped about this guy as a lot of people are since since he came out of the Senior Bowl with a lot of hype um, because he, he mostly dominated practices and, and even did okay during the game. I went back and looked at some tape, and I don't know. Like I don't really think he's in play for number eight overall. Do you? Uh, he's going to be named at number eight for a while because it's just past the Senior Bowl. We haven't really had anything else come up where it's important like that. Right. So. We haven't really had anything to, to you know, give us another benchmark on. Um, but I don't think he deserves to go at eight. I don't think his tape projects as a guy that should go in the top ten. The expectations for a, that kind of pass rusher are, are pretty significant. Um, he's in the same kind of vein as – and I don't, don't read too much into this comp. This is strictly stylistic. Um, but Bradley Chubb, where he doesn't have the most bend in the world. He's got enough that you think he can get by. but you he, Probably not going to measure out that great in the agility drills, but I expect his explosion drills to do pretty good. He's very strong. He's got a great bull rush, but does he really have a varied move set? Is he somebody that can come in and really take control of a game? And I don't really see that on tape. I see a lot of using his same move and hoping that it works. And when it doesn't, that's just the end of that play for him. That's it's over. You're not going to get much more than that. You know, there's there's guys that can can do other things and counter and do do a ton of different things to try to get off a block if it do, if it doesn't work and sweat's not that guy right now there's there's a lot of projection to his game and when there's that much projection i don't see him going that high do you think that maybe some of his weaknesses get exploited by the nfl combine i know you said you, you still like his projections as as an in terms of his explosion numbers but um with the you know do the does something like the bend or you know his speed to the outside does that sort of stuff show up at, at the combine do you think oh, yeah. maybe then things will kind of calm down on him? I think so. Teams have teams have their own in, interior benchmarks that they have for players. Right. I, I have, of course, the RAS system that I developed. But every NFL team has some kind of metric that they use to, to, to gauge a player's athleticism. And one of the most common ones, because it is very predictive, is the three-cone drill for pass rushers. Mm-hmm. And if you run, you'll hear me refer to it as a sub-seven, but if you run under a seven-second three-cone drill, you're pretty much guaranteed to, to boost your draft spot, draft stock. It's it's a rare trait. It doesn't show up very often. And if you look at the list of guys who have that trait and compare that to the list of guys who've succeeded in the NFL as a pass rusher, there's so many more guys that succeed than fail that have that that particular trait. So when you have a guy that doesn't run a sub seven three cone, they have to have something else that sets them apart. If they're not a guy that can bend the edge, if they're not that much of a smooth mover in space. And what do they do that sets them apart as a pass rusher? So again, going back to, to, excuse me, to Bradley Chubb, Bradley Chubb was super explosive. I mean, the guy could get right up underneath your pads and plow a guy backwards like it was nothing. And he could do it in a multitude of different ways. He wasn't just a, a bull rush guy. He had a bunch of different moves that he could use. 
using that explosiveness, using that ability to convert his lower lower body power into actual speed on the NFL field, you have that, you still have value. Uh, that's where Sweat's going to have to try to prove himself. If he doesn't run a very good cone or a very good shuttle drill, is he going to be able to make up for it enough with his, with his vertical and his broad jump to show that he has that kind of explosive ability? And I'm not sure that he has that much. I'm not sure he has enough anyway to do that, I don't, I, especially in this class, because you have Josh Allen, Ja'Kai Polite, and other guys that are super explosive. So even if he does well in that drill, if he doesn't also do at least passably in the cone, uh, Bradley Chubb, I keep mentioning him. I should, probably shouldn't mention him much. It's going to seem like I'm super comparing the two, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to use it as an example, not a, a straight one-for-one comparison. But, um, Chubb had a quote-unquote poor three-cone drill, uh, and ultimately it was just an average one. It, it just wasn't a great one. And for a lot of people in the draft community, that hurt his value. And that was silly because it shouldn't have, because even though he didn't have some elite three cone, he still kind of had an okay one. And what, what really gonna, is going to stand out for sweat is if he can have at least an okay one. Actually, I just looked it up. Bradley Chubb had a 7.373 cone. It is exactly average for a defensive <laughs> end. Like, exactly. So that's kind of the benchmark for, for sweat. Let's use that. If he runs anything worse than a 737, then people are probably going to start dropping him a little bit on his boards. If he runs that or better, even if it's only a little bit better, it's probably going to help him because it's, it's teams looking at it and saying, this is a concern. And if they can look at it and say, well, it's not a strength, but it's not a concern, then they can look at his positive traits and move him up or down their boards based on those. So he does have a lot to gain from the combine. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not saying he has a lot to lose. I think teams are, are only really going to move him up. They're probably going to have like a tentative grade on him that's lower than what we have on him publicly. And then if he runs a poor cone, they're just going to be like, yeah, that's, that's where he is. And if he doesn't, they're going to be like, okay, maybe we'll move him up a little bit. Well, speaking of all these measurables, one of the positions that I think a lot of people uh, get hung up on when it comes to measurables in specific is like is cornerback. And the Lions, uh, as I talked about earlier, have a need at a ton of positions on defense, and cornerback happens to be one of them. Maybe a little bit lesser so than other positions, but still, nonetheless, um, number eight seems like it might be a position where the Lions are going to be stuck having to make a decision uh, on the best player available. If Greedy Williams is there, is he somebody that you think is worth taking with the number eight pick, or do you see this class as uh, an opportunity for the Lions to maybe wait on day two, potentially day three? to uh to get some guys that they can develop so i definitely think that greedy is in play at eight for now i I don't think he should be i don't think any cornerback should be in play at eight and in fact i don't have any cornerback that i would rate in the top 15 right now Hmm. um that doesn't mean they're not in play um i'm I'm very early in my my scouting so i don't even have eight guys that i would pick in the top eight probably Uh, but that's just the nature of the time of year that it is uh, but I have gone through the cornerbacks enough to know that there's nobody that I would see myself jumping up and down for at eight. There, there is no Marshawn Lattimore in this draft. There's no Patrick Peterson in this draft. Uh, there's nobody that stands out to the point where you go, oh my God, this, if this guy is on my team, we are on a whole different level. There's not that guy. Everybody has some kind of fatal flaw that is going to make you second guess it. Greedy Williams is a gambler. Um, he's got you know that big attitude that you want in your corners. He's very large for a cornerback. He's got a lot of athletic traits, but he's just not 
he's just not refined enough in his ability to read to read offenses. Um, he's not as versatile to play both man and zone as you would want your guys to be. He's got some 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 wrinkles in his game that needs to be ironed out enough so that I wouldn't take him in the top ten. Uh, Byron Murphy's another guy that gets a lot of play from Washington. Murphy's great. He's got a lot of positive traits, but I don't see him translating as well to the type of man scheme that the Lions have used. Uh, he's 180 pounds, maybe, and that's pretty lean to be playing uh, in this kind of a defense. I don't know if I see that. Andre Baker from Georgia's gets a lot of play, but Baker, I don't see him measuring well at all. And with how the Lions just struck out with Tease Tabor, I don't see them taking a guy that doesn't measure well, or at least passably. Um, but you start looking at the second round and the third round, uh, and it really opens up in this draft. There are a lot of guys in, on day two that I could see a team improving with. And enough so that if the Lions were to double down and take a cornerback in the second and the third round, I wouldn't feel bad about it at all. I might consider that a win for the day. You know, we'll walk out of that with two extra corners. We could lock up both the opposite slots or the opposite side for, from Slay and the slot position and walk away shaking, our, shaking each other's hands. That would be a nice day. You have guys like Derek Beatty out of Kentucky, uh, Am- Amani Oruwarie, whose name is just awesome to say. Um, <laughs> but he's but also not the really best good. One, but not yeah. the best name. Can, nope. What what can I do to have you fudge the numbers so that Rocky Sin becomes a lion in in <laughs> April? I would love to have Rocky Sin on this team, and I again a great name, uh, and I'm glad that you brought him up because I love I love Rocky Sin, and I, he's actually every year every off season when you're a draft guy you build your list of sleepers, right? Guys that you're on that you don't think other people are on, uh, and you kind of you kind of leak those out as the year goes on, like oh man, you know people should check out this guy just to try to gauge what other people are seeing. Uh, it's one of the worst feelings when you have a guy that you feel is like your guy and you're like, man, I can't believe nobody's talking about this guy. And then you mention one thing and you realize that everyone else has that guy. Like that's everybody <laughs> else's guy. So Rocky Sin is that guy. He's, he's not, he's a guy that has a lot of day three hype for, for the most part, but everybody that follows the draft closely that I've talked to likes Rocky Sin. So I think he's very underrated and I think that's going to self-correct pretty quickly. Um, but he didn't have a good senior bowl. Uh, he, did, he struggled in coverage a bit. He had a penalty. Um, he was getting very handsy. Uh, there were some negatives that showed up on tape, that's, and enough that I need to go back and watch some more of it. Um, but, God, that's an awesome name. It's, it's not so as, it's, good. It's awesome. It's got, a, it's got a hyphen in it and everything. It's great. It's a great name. I mean, um, if you had two corners named Darius Slay and Rocky Sin, like, that is not only one of the most talented backfields, but just one of – or defensive backfields, I should say, but one of like the best names. Oh, it's, it's, there's, and that's not, we haven't even scratched the surface of great names in this draft. Like <laughs> there's a ton of awesome ones. You already mentioned Debo, mentioned Debo Samuel earlier. Uh, and then Amani Oruarie, which once you get that down, that just rolls off. That's, yep. that's a fun one. Um, but this, this is a great class for the name bracket. We could probably run. I'm going to make a name bracket now, aren't I? I think I have to make a name bracket. (laughs) You could. It's got to happen now. Um, All right. But it's a great class for that stuff. I think uh, when we're talking about names, that means it's probably time to to flip the script on the Senior Bowl. Uh, Appreciate your your insight, Ken. Um, Let's talk really quick about the John Bonamago hire, and then we'll get into the the mailbag. Um, If you don't know somehow, it's been a week about since the Lions hired John Bonamago as their uh, their special teams coordinator. He was a coordinator from 2003, 2013 to 2014, and then he went on 
to be the the Chippewas head coach for a couple of years. Did not work out so well there. Got fired this year. Brought back special teamers down in Pro Bowl. Said they were excited for him. Um, he was Sam Martin's rookie coach. Uh, obviously, he has a ton of experience with Don Mulebach as well. Um, what is your guys' general feelings on this hire? I know it's not an exciting hire, but the guy does have 15 years of special teams coaching in the NFL, so that has to mean something. Are you guys overwhelmed, underwhelmed, um, just whelmed? Ryan, let, let's let's hear from you. I would say I'm whelmed. I, I I do appreciate that it seems like a lot of the special teamers have voiced their like excitement about the hire. Um, he's a guy who has a story that you you know you have to root for. Um, right. You know, uh, as as a cancer survivor and 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 everything that he's he's gone through with that. So it, it's always good to see. Um, people on on the other side of, of those kind of diagnosis, like, you know, succeeding. So you, you have to feel good for it. Um, as far, as far as a football hire, the, you know, his performance with the team before was, was good, but there's also a little bit of bad. Um, I, I think in general though, like, I, I think it's an underrated facet of coaching, um, having somebody that you like to play for, uh, especially, in in a role like a special teamers coach, right? Because I mean, these are the guys that are at the end of the roster. You know, they're they're happy to be on an NFL roster, um, playing football and getting paid to do it. This is like, this is like the you know the the guys that really are at the bottom of the depth chart, but they're they're living their dream playing football. I think it. I, I think it's a big. I think it's a big feather in his hat that a lot of Lions you know, players are, are excited to, to get back and play for him because I think that that like special team of like all the positions that you have is like a really motivational, like area of football. So I'm, I'm whelmed by it. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him. Ken, how are you feeling yeah, about the hype? I'm, I'm going to be the stick in the mud, right? We can't okay, go for it. be like, meh. You know, we've had a lot of meh stuff going on lately, so let's look at it a little bit more critically for me. <laughs> um, I, I was a little bit underwhelmed. At first, I was kind of the same way, where it's kind of doesn't really move the needle for me. Um, but the more I started looking back at how things were when Bonamigo was here, I don't see much improvement over Marciano by going from him to Bonamigo. And it's actually a lot like when we hired Marciano. Um, and I mean, that could technically be a good thing since Marciano had this really weird, awesome year after everybody was all concerned about how every, every unit he had before that was garbage. Then he came here and the unit was awesome once. So maybe that'll work out for at least one year. Maybe that's all they need is just one right. year. But, you know, Bonamigo has never really had a great special teams unit. And I get that team that, that players like him and like you, you hit the nail right on the head. It is a very highly motivational position to have. That's one that you want everybody to be behind you on. I think he'll do that, but he's just not never been a great coach in that aspect. He's never had a great unit um, either in returns, kicking, punting, any of that. He's never had a great unit and the team kind of needs that. We need, we need to see actual improvement from one guy to the next. And it's kind of hard to go from a really bad coach who had a really bad interim coach. It's kind of hard to not improve from that. Uh, but it needs to be a meaningful improvement. We need to see the unit actually improve, especially in discipline. And that's an area that might not help having a player coach like that. Yeah. Um, is that the main problem with the Lions special teams unit this year was just discipline. It's an undisciplined, sloppy group. Yep. 
and they need somebody to rein it in. And Bonamigo might not be the best hire for that. You, you know the funny thing? You, you mentioned Joe Marciano. I, I was looking at the Pride of Detroit awards from last year, and guess who won Coach of the Year for the Lions? <laughs> it's, it's kind of amazing. You know, the, the, if you look back before that year and you look at what Marciano had did, none of what happened this year should have been surprising. Right? We, we all should have seen an undisciplined mess of a group. But he had that one year, and hey, we well, were all pleasantly surprised jamal agnew and matt prater cover up a lot of special teams deficiencies and then when you don't have jamal agnew and when you know matt prater isn't making any big kicks because the offense is horrible uh then you suddenly see all of the uh the the bad things but the one thing i wanted to talk briefly before we go to break here about john bonamagos i'm just curious as to how the new special teams rules are going to affect him because he hasn't had to really experience them in the past four or five years as head coach of, of the Chippewas, um, kickoffs have kind of gone through a major renovation, and he's never really had to develop a scheme or a, a coverage unit for, for that. And, I mean, I don't know. We'll see how he adjusts. He's kind of an old coach, so he'll have to adapt a little bit. But it's just kind of something to keep an eye on. It's not something that he's really used to doing. And, obviously, college football went through some changes too, but not being the, the special teams coach means that that sort of stuff was out of his controller. Not out of his control, but out of his uh, his realm, let's say. But I'm actually glad that you mentioned that because that's actually an area that that it helps having a coach like Bonamago. One of the things that that really impressed me when the Lions brought him on is that the Lions had a ton of different alignments that they ran things out of on special teams. It wasn't ex- the same thing over and over and over again. I don't know if you remember, uh, was it Danny Crossman that we had some years back? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The guy who had the guy who had a pamphlet for a for a playbook. Um, <laughs> And I, I swear I had heard that as a rumor and thought it was a joke. And then I heard it from like a bunch of different people that he, no, no, he actually has a pamphlet. Like the whole thing is just a couple of pages. And that was never the case with Bonamago. He always seemed like he had some way, a, a different way of looking at special teams where it wasn't just the same thing over and over again. And sometimes it didn't work and it was an unstructured mess at times. And he only really had the two years to install it. So maybe this is just a case of a guy who didn't have enough time to get his system in place the way that he wanted it to. And that's tough to do with special teams. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't think that the rules are going to have much of a negative effect. And with a coach like him, it could actually be a positive. All right. I think we'll close things up there for our second segment. When we come back, it's our mailbag time. We're going ha- to have a little bit of Super Bowl talk. We're going to have a little bit free agency, a little bit of everything. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Mail time. We're back with the Pride of Detroit mailbag. As always, if you have questions that you want us to answer here on air, hashtag AskPOD on Twitter and check out Pride of Detroit for our weekly post where we take questions. Um, let's let's get a little silly to start things out. We I think we uh, we talked a lot of informational stuff. Let let's get a little silly. Let's talk a little. Bit. Actually, before we go into a Super Bowl question, uh, question, let me say that I believe. Tentative plans are that we're going to have a Super Bowl special podcast sometime this midweek. 
before uh, Super Bowl Sunday. So uh, be on the lookout for that. That's why we didn't talk a lot about the Super Bowl in this game, in this podcast. But we'll get to a, a question here. Come from the Booerns at Pride of Detroit asks if a competition of foods between the Pro Bowl, which it was in Orlando, the Senior Bowl, Alabama, and the Super Bowl were to exist by its geographical location, which, which place has the most iconic food <laughs> would, would, that you'd like to eat? Sorry, it's a very weirded question. But basically, what, what area's food? you think is the best and yeah right Ryan. after that very confusing question (laughs) i'm sorry give you an answer for the the geographical location with the most iconic foods yes there you go Uh, i all right so like for most iconic food i think you just have to go with with southern food like, yeah. I mean, like, if you're going to associate anything with, like, America, like, you're going to associate, like, deep fried, fatty, savory foods. And there's so many different options that are in play. Um, so, I, I, I mean, I, I think I think you have to go with, like, Southern cuisine. Like, most iconic. It, it's, most, it's, mo- it's most iconic. It's most iconic. Like, yeah. that's, that's, I think that's the, um, the key word that you have to, they have to look at when you're answering that question. So you're gonna go with Alabama, or are we are we talking Mercedes Benz Stadium, Atlanta? <laughs> um, I'm not gonna say Chick Fil A because you can't get it on Sunday during the Super Bowl. <laughs> yep. I don't know. What do you think, Kent? I think it's got to be Atlanta. I-, I think you pretty much nailed it too. I mean, Southern food. I mean, if we had something down in like San Antonio where we could throw in Tex-Mex or something, and we might That's have a bit more of thinking, a discussion. Yeah. We'd have more of a discussion if it was something like that. But between, you know, Orlando and between, yeah, Alabama, it's kind of, it's pretty easy, right? I mean, we're, we're looking at at Southern comfort food and Atlanta probably wins out. Yeah. It's it's definitely not Orlando, which is the only place I've actually been to of the three. (laughs) Uh, But I don't know. I feel like Alabama could like, they probably do. They definitely do mean tailgates down there. I think we can probably agree with that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if I'm if I'm going to like if I'm going to like key in on something specific, like I'm talking like probably like south like southeastern like like traditional like soul food, like fried chicken, mac and cheese, yeah. Oh, yeah. hush puppies, like yeah. Cornbread. Right, there's a cornbread. There's a, yeah. a there's a lobster mac and cheese that people in Atlanta have to try. Oh, I don't know about man. that one. <laughs> I'm sold. Uh, the language. L- London line asks who is one Lions player that could help either Super Bowl team this year? Just one. Just just one. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean the 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 Patriots are going against Todd Gurley, so having Snacks Harrison would kind of be awesome, right? I mean that yep. would that would be a hell of a boon to be able to take Todd Gurley right out of the game. Um, I don't. I don't know about the other way around. I mean, I what, mean the Rams might think? just take him out of the game, anyways, like they did in the conference championship game. <laughs> that is always a possibility. <laughs> Seems less than wise. Uh, you know what? I think if any team, you know, I, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, if the Patriots want to pick up a, if, if the Lions wide receivers were healthy, I think that the Patriots would love to have like Marvin Jones Jr. Yeah, have yeah, that late that that deep pass that that Brady likes to throw on on third downs. 
Open yeah. up that option. Yeah. I mean, him over I, Kenny Galladay? Him, him over Kenny Galladay. I'm sorry. But, I mean, I'm, for I'm a very specific role. I mean, it's, yeah. it's for a specific role. Yeah. One that Tom Brady likes to do. Totally. All right. Uh, one more Super Bowl themed question here from Nick Schramm uh, asks What happens first? Tom Brady retires or the Lions win a playoff game? <laughs> Brady's never retiring, so that's <laughs> kind of an easy one. Just from it's math, he's he hasn't retired yet. <laughs> so you do think the Lions are going to win a playoff game eventually? Yeah, well, they've won one before. <laughs> Brady's never retired, so mathematically, that's an easy one. <laughs> Living up to your your Twitter name there, I like that. <laughs> There's a precedent. <laughs> you know, we're just going to move on to the next question. I think that was a perfect answer. Um, <laughs> Here's to hopeful asks, and this is a, a draft prospect we didn't talk about, Rashawn Gary, all over the place in terms of projection right now. Is there any chance he lands in Detroit? So, I, mm. yeah. You want the, the diplomatic answer or the draft answer? <laughs> give it to me straight, Kent. Just give it to me straight. So, yes. And if you're not considering Rashawn Gary at eight, you're ignoring a lot of things. Um, anybody that watches a lot of tape and on Twitter and, and social media probably doesn't have Gary as high as the national media does. And he's going to be this prospect. Like he says, he's all over the place. So you're going to have that disconnect. Um, but it has a lot to do with projection and athletic potential. And Rashawn Gary's a guy that at 280 pounds ran a four, five, seven at spring training and a six, seven cone which even Michigan, who is known to fudge their numbers, even if you adjust <laughs> for Michigan fudging their numbers, and that's not a knock on Michigan. It's just a fact. They do it. There's, there's teams that fudge numbers. They're one of them. Um, even if you take that into account, that they fudge their numbers, and even if you take into account that it was probably hand-timed and the combine's going to be laser-timed, so it's a little bit different. You're going to have a little bit of a deficiency there. That's still ridiculous. Like That's still insane. You know, if if Rashawn Gary were to run a sub seven three cone, I actually ran this math the other day because we were talking about Ed Oliver, another player that could be in play for the Lions. But some people had projected that he would have like a six seven three cone or some ridiculous number, like Gary supposedly ran. Uh, but the likelihood of that having happened is is almost it's almost impossible. Of of the guys that I have tracked, it was like twenty three hundred players who had recorded at least one three cone, whether at the pro day or their combine. No overlap, so I wasn't double counting guys that did both. So 2,300 players, five had managed a three cone of seven or lower. Um, hmm. It's not a common occurrence. Oh, sorry, that wasn't even, sorry, that, I take that back. That wasn't defensive tackles. That was anyone over 280 pounds. So any position at that weight. Uh, you just don't see that type of metric. But we have two guys in this draft class who could hit it. And that's insane that we're talking about guys that could hit that kind of mark. I mean, one of the only guys that you would know that has done that is J.J. Watt, who hit, I think he had a ridiculous cone. It was like six, seven, six or something. Some insane cone time for his size. But if Gary hits that, which he might because he's almost hit it before, there, there's no chance he's going any lower than 10. It's, it's just not going to happen. All right, so Rashawn Gary is good as J.J. Watt. Got it. Uh, Ryan, why don't you take a pot <laughs> shot at this one? I, I mean, I, I think something that Kent like kind of touched on, but maybe didn't like outright say was that what fans are ignoring is that the combine is a thing. <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. you have you have to wait till you see this guy and what he's going to do in terms of his measurables, and then once he does that, 
right now we have this disconnect, like Kent says, where the national media thinks of Rashawn Gary one way. Um, you have Twitter people who think of him this other way. Those national media people are only going to be empowered um, in their opinions of him after he does what he does at the combine, which he should just be like a, he should be a combine warrior. So I mean, if if, if those things happen, you're going to see Gary rise up even more mock drafts because he is a guy who's you know like the question says all over the place you see him at the top but then you also see him at the bottom uh for me i think that just personally as somebody who wants to see the lions get somebody at the edge who will contribute from day one and isn't so much of a guy that's going to be a developmental project um in terms of like he has he has a high ceiling because of all these like athletic gifts that he has um i don't i think number eight is far too rich for for rashawn gary you're wrong, but anyways, let's uh, let's move on to <laughs> something else uh, that happened Fair over enough. the weekend. <laughs> uh, the Pro Bowl happened, guys, and Brett Kuzno at B Kuzno uh, has a way to fix the Pro Bowl, and he's pitching it to us. He says, "I propose merging the Pro Bowl game with the Hall of Fame game. All the best players from the previous season play in the game. It would get better ratings from a fan starved from fans starved for football, no matter how shitty." Your thoughts? Ooh, that's a weird one, right? Because I mean, kind of a weird one. The Hall of Fame game sucks. Yeah, preseason True. football. Preseason football is is it's time for guys like us, right? Guys that write about the teams to look at what's going on, to try to isolate what's going on from a schematic perspective, from a personnel usage perspective, all that. We're trying to figure things out. But even in the context of that, the Hall of Fame game sucks. It, it's not fun. Yep. The players, the players don't want to be there. No one, no one enjoys the Hall of Fame game. It's it's kind of pointless to even have that game. Much like the Pro Bowl. I mean, yeah. there's, <laughs> there isn't really a reason for the Pro Bowl to exist anymore. Uh, I, I know that somebody had brought up how many quarterbacks have made the Pro, Pro Bowl. It was like twenty two <laughs> of thirty two starting quarterbacks. Yeah. yeah, had had made the Super Bowl. All NFC North quarterbacks were Pro Bowl quarterbacks. Um, there was like three divisions where it was all, all everybody had made it, and that's just like, does it even really matter? And the answer to that is yes for Hall of Fame consideration. So does his suggestion make sense in the context of that? Yeah, because that's the only time Pro Bowl really matters anymore is for Hall of Fame consideration. Right. So may as well just throw it all together at the same time. Now then you bring in who's going to play in it, and right. no one. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, the thing. <laughs> you put it right before the season. <laughs> No coach is going to let their their players play, even no. at you know one tenth speed, which is what the Pro Bowl runs at. Just yep. like I mean, if any sort of freak accident happens, suddenly the Pro Bowl is canceled forever. So you know what? Maybe they should move it to the Hall of Fame game, just so they that are. one person has to suffer an injury. Sorry to whoever that future person is to make sure the Pro Bowl never happens again. Do you know? Yeah, do you know why the Hall of Fame game was at least like there was even like a modicum of like interest in it last season? It was because we were getting our first taste of Lamar Jackson. Like that was the only reason why anybody <laughs> cared about the Hall of right, Fame. Right. So like um my proposal to fix the Pro Bowl is we need to highlight the things that are really fun to watch, like feats of athleticism. So can we play seven on seven flag football? Like, can we just do that? Well, they they, they used to, right? They used to have some sort of flag football yeah. on, on sand, and then someone tore an ACL, I think. Well, don't yeah. do sand. Don't do sand. Do it like do it like on turf. Like just play seven turf. on. Hey, outside. Remember, outside fields oh, gosh. are much yeah. better on your joints. 
Oh, yes. Artificial turf. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Yep. I don't know. Yeah. I've enjoyed the skill competition this year. And I think, yeah. I think right. that they... Piece of athleticism, would, right? Right. And if they were... Well, just from a comedy perspective, I mean, how much uh-huh. fun was it watching Mitchell Trubisky <laughs> struggle to get over that goddamn plastic barrier and then Russell Wilson comes out and nails Does every single first drive right after it. I mean, how much fun was that? You know, and it, I know we're taking a dig at Trubisky because it's true and funny, but I mean, it's it's any it's any position. It's a lot more fun to do stuff like that, and I think that they could highlight they could do so many good things with it. I mean, there's all these different programs that these football players do outside of football that you could highlight during these times. You know, they've, we've, we always talk about the different volunteer work that a lot of these guys do. How great would it be to have some drives during that stuff and, and throw out what they're doing? You know, they have, they, they, they do that cleat thing during the year right. where they, they wear the different, you know, paint them however they want and all that crap. Right. You know, do something like that as well. And it's going to get a little wishy-washy for some people, but you're already get, going to like the, the lowest modicum of audience right nobody's really watching the pro bowl to enjoy the football aspect of it so go all in put together a a really intriguing skills skills competition and throw in stuff like that so the players can fight for whatever causes they want to fight for and talk about whatever volunteer stuff they want to fight for and i think it would be a much better overall product because you're going to get people watching it to enjoy the funny stuff that goes on and you can expand who goes to the damn pro bowl do that right yeah. You don't have to just take the guys that get voted in. You can you can re- retool the whole thing and have a, a, a similar to the All Pro where it actually means something, and then just have an open skills competition for stuff. You know, that's a brilliant idea, and I want to combine it with my version of the skills competition. Put all these guys in the original American Gladiators course or <laughs> Nickelodeon Guts, Nickelodeon Guts Pro Bowl. Who says no? Who says no to an aggro crag race between right? Pro Bowl guys? Or what's no. the one uh, that was Takeshi's Castle Wipeout? Remember <laughs> the Wipeout course? Yeah. How great would it be? How yeah. great would it be to see MXC. snacks go on the damn those big red ball things and try to jump oh across God. those damn things? How great would that be? Man, NFL, call us. We got all the ideas. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to go into Corey Rayburn's question who asked, is Miss, is Trubisky a good quarterback or is it mostly just delusional Chicago fans using QBR? But I think we already Blair? answered that one. <laughs> There's a caveat to that. It's, as much as we joke about it, there is a caveat. You know, it, it, you've seen guys like Goff come out and suck so badly their first year that people wonder whether they have any place in the NFL. Right. And then they come back and now he's in the Super Bowl. You know, so there's always that chance that we laugh about how bad he was and how overinflated his stats were and how things don't line up. And you, you mentioned QBR because I think it's the only stat that you can justifiably argue yep. that Trubisky wasn't, you know, not among the best. And right. so yeah, it's, well, well it's rushing just yards too. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> rushing yards. That's true. Um, which goes into QBR. It's kind of, they play off each other. Um, but all the same, you know, he could come out next year and surprise, but <laughs> He, does, he just doesn't look like a guy that's gonna... <laughs> he, he, he could, but I think that this is always just like a really good exercise in understanding how like progression isn't always an upward trend. Right, yeah. Right. I mean, look right. at look at, look at at uh, Mariota. Look at, you know, uh, RG3. Look at Carson Tannehill. Wentz. Carson Wentz, Tannehill, yeah. All those guys. I mean, I mean, I mean so, could... yeah. It's, it's not always an assumption that like progression is always, like 
you know, going to be an upward trend. All right, let's finish on this one from Steve Reiner at srein 0 Besides Trey Flowers, who do you think will be their top target in free agency this year? And, uh, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. The other question is unrelated. That's a really good question. What do fans want? Fans want their top target to be Golden Tate, right? <laughs> I think so, probably. <laughs> I think everybody wants, right? We all want Golden Tate to be the target. Are we talking most likely to be a target? So we, we'd have to we'd have to exclude guys who are probably getting tagged. So probably, Marcus yeah. Lawrence, Jadavian Clowney, D Ford, I think are getting tagged. So probably not those guys. Right. I'm sorry. Did you say did you say D Ford is getting tagged or flagged? <laughs> oh, <laughs> too soon. I'm sorry, D Ford. <laughs> What? Okay, well, I think he's. I think he gets tagged. But if, if he doesn't, honestly, if if D Ford does not get tagged, he's a better target for the Lions than Trey Flowers. Ooh, interesting. I like that take. So I don't think what, it's going to happen. What about Kareem Jackson? I feel like I feel bad. like this team is really going for a cornerback in free agency, especially with those rumors that maybe they aren't interested in a cornerback early in the draft. I, and we saw them kind of aggressively pursue cornerback last year in free agency, and and swing and miss Kareem Jackson. Yeah. I know he's 31. So yeah. that, that isn't very exciting, but no, he's got a pretty storied and, career. He does. And he fits the defense pretty well. You know, yeah. He's, he's generally a man guy. He can play zone if he needs to. He's played in a three, four, he's played in a four, three, he's played in a, in a, in a varied enough defensive schemes that he kind of fits. So I don't know if he would be a top target. I think he's a likely target in the line. Um, I think he's a guy that they're probably going to go after. Um, a guy that you probably don't hear a lot of that I also think is probably not going to actually hit the market is Steve Nelson from Kansas City. Mm. Talked about them potentially targeting a corner. Mm-hmm. Um, Nelson doesn't get a whole lot of play uh, nas- nationally, but he probably should. He's a good player. Uh, and, and I think he's only 25, 25 or 26. So he's young enough that he's probably worth pursuing from a, from a projection pers- perspective. Um, but he's an underrated player on a defense that isn't all that great. Uh, but Kansas City's defense is mostly bad due to their pass rush, um, even though they have you know, before it there. <laughs> but we've mentioned two Kansas City players, and I'm talking about how bad their defense is. <laughs> right. Defenses aren't generally defined by their best players. It's, it's all about there your you weakest link on the defense. So that's important to remember. Darius Slay doesn't suck because the Lions' defense sucks. Darius Slay <laughs> has, has had a down year, even though he made a Pro Bowl. Because most of the rest of the Lions can't pass rush for crap. You know? <laughs> um, but I think their their most likely targets, most likely targets, are going to be guys like Zadarius Smith out of Baltimore, or uh, who's the other one? Zadarius Smith out of Baltimore. CJ Mosley. Uh, no, although he's probably going to be. I, I, I'm up. I'm, I I keep going back and forth whether I think they're going to target Mosley. Um, but he's probably going to be the one that fans would expect them to target. Would be, would be Let's go with that. So the, the one I think they'll target is Darius Smith. The one that fans are going to want him to target is C.J. Mosley. Mm-hmm. Um, for different reasons. Darius Smith is an up-and-coming pass rusher. He's got a lot of traits that translate well to the NFL. He's been improving each year. C.J. Mosley's just kind of been good since he got picked up. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's more... You know, going. I know we always hate talking about the Patriots, but it's that it's that type of mentality that they made famous. Everybody does it. Well, not everybody. Good teams do it. They're the ones that made it famous. You always try to get a guy, you know, a year earlier rather than a, a year too late, right? And that's the type of thing you're looking at with getting Zadarius Smith. 
is getting a guy that's ascending um, like Glover Quinn was when the Lions picked up Glover Quinn, like Golden Tate and Marvin Jones were when the Lions picked them up. Guys that hadn't hit that stride yet, but were headed that direction. And that's why I think that's a guy that they'll target. All right, Ryan, I'm going to give you the last word. Give me a free agent you're looking for. A tight end who can play football. <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's I'm it. Looking, I'm looking at a list. I'm trying to find one. <laughs> <laughs> Jared it's, Cook. That's about it. Eh. Isn't he like 40? He's 32. Hey, don't you dare badmouth old tight end <laughs> because I love me some Antonio Gates. Well, there you go. He's going to be a free agent too. Yeah, because Hunter Henry's really going to take his he's going to take his rightful throne. Hunter Henry's <laughs> going to play in the Super Bowl somehow. Oh man, it's going to happen. All right, we'll end it there. Thank you for listening to the Pride Detroit POD cast. We are on iTunes and Stitcher. Our main theme was produced by Ryan Shepard. You can find him on Twitter and on SoundCloud at. I am Brian Shepard. I-A-M-B-R-I-A-N-S-H-E-P-A-R-D. Thanks a lot to him. Check out his stuff. He's been great. He gave us Victory Monday, so go check him out. That's I am Brian Shepard. And thank you for everyone who keeps listening and makes us one of the greatest Lions podcasts possible. Y'all are awesome. See you star side.